from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Chlorine kind of builds up this protective layer, while monochloramine does the opposite. It started drawing that lead out of the old lead pipes in the town, and the amount of lead in their water shot up. D.C. did the same thing in the early 2000s and sparked um, widespread lead poisoning. Really, it just comes down to, to industry pushback primarily. And, and when you say industry pushback, what industry do you mean? Primarily the lead industry. I'm Jonathan All. Lead in the water has been a problem in Missouri for decades. Allison Kite at the Missouri Independent has been reporting on it and joins us now. Allison, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So you've done an awful lot of reporting about this, and and while your focus has definitely been on Missouri and the Midwest, this is definitely a a national issue. And before we get started, I'd like to hear uh, what uh, Dr. Elizabeth Friedman, director of the Pediatric Environmental Health Specialty Unit for Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa, said to you and Yara Savage earlier this year. We built our infrastructure with it. We painted our walls with it. We built our water grid with it. And now we're dealing with the repercussions. Now, Allison, uh, this is definitely a national issue, but there's been some movement on, on trying to help mitigate these problems. What has your reporting found so far? Certainly. So uh, the Environmental Protection Agency is now requiring utilities to go back after um, decades or even more than a century of having these lead service lines, which is the pipe that runs from the water main under your street into your house um, and locate the the ones that are made of lead and prepare to remove them. Um, But the big issue is that a, a lot of utilities for decades have not been required to know where they are and Um, There might be limited records or no records at all at some utilities. And so they're going through now and starting the process over the next couple of years of of locating those lines. And do they have, I mean, can you test the water that comes out on the other end? And does that give you any indication of where there might be lead pipes? So uh, utilities are required to do testing of um, water at residence taps periodically um, for lead, but um, generally utilities in, uh, include chemicals in your water that prevent or try to prevent corrosion of lead so that it doesn't uh, enter the water as it travels through the pipe and then come out your tap. Um, so uh, you know, testing can give you some indication, but it's not a foolproof way of of figuring out, you know, which houses have lead service lines and which do not, because you might have a lead service line, but if that corrosion, anti-corrosion chemical is working the way it should, hopefully that lead is not getting into your water. I, I am wondering about the impact of zip codes on all of this. Are, are we finding that Um, utilities that serve neighborhoods that have people that are economically disadvantaged or are largely people of color, do they have fewer records? And are we, is this another issue where environmental racism or classism is playing into uh, the equation of whether people are are able to stay healthy? 
Certainly. Well, I think, you know, older neighborhoods, um, the federal government outlawed new lead pipes in 1986. So um, older neighborhoods that have not been invested in over the years um, are the most likely to have not only lead pipes, but lead paint as well. Um, so those folks who are socio socioeconomically disadvantaged, communities of color are disproportionately likely to uh, deal with lead poisoning in general. In terms of where we have records on remaining lead pipes, I'm not sure if there's uh, a, a disparity in, in just the records maintenance. Um, but for example, St. Louis has um, about 50% of its service lines uh, made of lead and does not have detailed information on where those lead service lines are and are not. So I think the the lack of information um, is pretty across the board. The, the you mentioned 1986 when when these pipes were banned and and we've been aware of the the problems that lead in in drinking water can cause f for decades. Why has this taken so long to get to where we are? when that we're not even close to the final fix to this issue? Certainly. I think that um, there were there are a few reasons for that. Uh, over the course of the 20th century, lead was in use in paint pipes, um, in gasoline. And part of the reason for that was that the, the lead industry really um, sought to prevent a lot of these new regulations and spread the message that that lead was safe, it was useful, it was okay to have in your home when, you know, that really wasn't true. Um, and then I think that, you know, in, environmentalists have a lot of critic criticisms of um, the 1991 lead and copper rule, which um, set up this testing scheme um, for lead in residents' drinking water that does not really capture a lot of folks feel the extent of lead in our water it's it's easy for utilities to be in compliance with that rule without necessarily eradicating all of the lead from their system so um, as for as for why we're still dealing with this problem it, it's um, you know kind of astounding that we are um, but I think that really it just comes down to to industry pushback primarily and, and when you say industry pushback, what industry do you mean? Primarily the lead industry in the, the 20th century, but also when the lead and copper rule was put um, into place in 1991, the the water utilities were, um, you know, at the table heavily involved in determining, you know, how much lead um, can be in the water in that we drink and um, what was feasible in terms of a level to eradicate lead when what we know scientifically is that no amount of lead is safe to consume. Now, previous attempts at, at trying to fix this, um, I, my understanding through your reporting has made it worse. Could you ex maybe explain what monochloramine is and, and how it kind of made the situation worse? Certainly. So monochloramine is um, an alternative to chlorine uh, that water utilities can use to disinfect the drinking water. It has fewer harmful byproducts um, than chlorine. And so some water utilities thought it was um, a better alternative. And the EPA also does set limits for these byproducts from disinfectants in your water. So in the case of Trenton, Missouri, which 
we featured in the story, um, the, the city water utility had decided to make a switch from chlorine to monochloramine, which in a vacuum um, seems like a good decision. But when there are lead pipes involved, chlorine kind of builds up this protective layer between the water and the pipes and um, may reduce the amount of lead seeping into your water while monochloramine does the opposite. It's corrosive. It can draw that lead out of the pipe and into your water. So when Trenton, Missouri made this switch from chlorine to monochloramine, it started drawing that lead out of the old lead pipes in the town and the amount of lead in their water shot up um, in in the next reporting period and was um, violated that EPA rule for how much lead can be in a system. This is definitely a national issue, uh, and but it can also has a lot of uh, effects that are going on in the Midwest. Um, Allison, you spoke with Eric Olson. Uh, he's the strategic director of the Natural Resources Defense Council last month about how these pipes can really affect everyone in the region. Unfortunately, it's a lot like drinking your water from a lead straw because these pipes, they're about the thickness of a garden hose um, and they snake through your front yard. And if it's made out of lead, um, some of that lead is going to get into your drinking water. It's inevitable. So, Allison, how are these pipes like a time bomb them and, and what could happen suddenly with them? Certainly. So um, the the example that we, we gave in Trenton where they made that switch from chlorine to monochloramine is one of the primary issues. They're not the first utility to have that problem. Um, Washington, D.C. did the same thing in the early 2000s and sparked um, widespread lead poisoning. And so, you know, there are ways that utilities can mitigate the amount of lead getting into your water if you do have a lead pipe, like we mentioned. Um, But sudden changes in the water chemistry, shaking up a lead pipe, say, um, if you're doing construction on the street, can start that lead to seep into your water. So while your lead pipe might not be creating a huge problem today, it might tomorrow. Uh, you, we mentioned earlier the Biden administration is making some moves to try to get these lead pipes removed. And and I, I believe they said by the end of the decade. Is that is that really realistic? So one of the folks that I talked to at the at the uh, Missouri Department of Natural Resources said probably not. And I don't think that, um, I don't think that anybody thinks that every single lead pipe will be removed within the decade. But, you know, it was a big contrast between the Biden administration saying, this is what we would really like to do. And the Missouri Department of Natural Resources saying, you know, it might be six or eight years before we even find all of the lead pipes, let alone actually get them out of the ground. So. I think it'll vary a lot by state um, and even by water utility. Like we like we mentioned before, the um, there are some water utilities that have kept great records. Uh, I mean, there are, are certain water utilities that you can find a map of all of the remaining lead pipes that they're aware of. And then there are others that all they have is an estimate of how many that they, they think they might have based on the age of their housing stock. So... Um, it'll be, I think it'll be an uphill climb to get it done by the end of the decade, certainly. Well, you, you mentioned Missouri and, and so closer to home. 
Uh, Governor Parson signed new legislation uh, on this topic. Um, what does that mean uh, for what's going to happen in Missouri and, and, and lead? Certainly. So Governor um, Parson signed a bill that will require uh, schools to do filtering for lead, which, um, as we know, kids are at the most risk for lead poisoning. Their developing bodies just absorb more of the neurotoxin, and it can cause issues like loss of IQ points, ADHD, and other behavioral issues. And so um, since kids, you know, spend so much time at school and home, uh, this piece of legislation requiring filters in schools will at least ensure that kids are not drinking lead in their water um, for, you know, a big chunk of the the time they spend during the day at school. Allison, you've spent a lot of time covering this. And while there does seem to be some movement, a lot of it seems to be very overdue. And some of it seems like we're still years away from solving the problem. Just from your perspective, how much are you optimistic about there being progress and how much pessimistic that this is a decades-old problem that is still years away from being solved? Certainly. I, I think that there uh, it's it's a double-edged sword to this, this story, right? It's astounding that we're in this situation, but as um, one of the physicians that I spoke to for this story noted, you know, this is... Uh, the largest investment in removing lead from our water infrastructure. So while it's long overdue, something actually is finally happening. Um, and so I think that there's some some blame to go around for the fact that we're just now doing it, but also um, I think it is appropriate to be, you know, somewhat optimistic since we are actually finally getting something done. Allison Kite, reporter for the Missouri Independent. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Avery Rogers. Our audio engineer is Aaron Dorr, and our production intern is Avery. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.